This, uh, this past Wednesday, I concluded my series of lessons on Wednesday night. If you were part of my Wednesday night class, so we were looking at these, uh, these life lessons of these minor New Testament figures. And so we explored, you know, men and women in Scripture that, you know, we don't often talk about. You know, we're not talking about the James or the Peters or the Johns, but we were talking about people like Lydia and Epaphroditus and Aquila and Priscilla and Demas and Tychicus. You know, individuals that, again, you just don't hear every day. And we learned some very valuable lessons from their lives, you know, hopefully that we're going to apply to our lives going forward. Now, another one of those individuals that we didn't happen to study, but I think we could put right on that list, is a, is a young man by the name of Eutychus. Uh, Eutychus, that's going to be who we're going to be studying about this morning. It's a name that maybe you're not familiar with, and that's okay, but hopefully the, the account of his life is something that you remember. I have this book in my office called uh, Saving Eutychus. Saving Eutychus. And the tagline of this book is, How to Preach God's Word and Keep People Awake. And probably some of you are thinking this morning, well, why haven't you read this book? Right? But, but this book title comes from our text this morning in Acts chapter 20. Right? As Nathaniel read for us, here's an event that although you know, sometimes when we read this event, we'll maybe sometimes joke about it from time to time about an individual who, you know, I mean, this happens to the best of us. Right? He, he fell asleep during that worship that, that, that Sunday evening. It happens to the best of us. Uh, there was a woman, you know, I heard this illustration about this, this woman who, you know, she took her husband to the doctor. Her doctor did not want to, or excuse me, her husband did not want to go to the doctors at all. Right? And so she had to drag him to the doctor's office. She begged and pleaded and he finally went and, uh, you know, she had to do the speaking for him. And so the, the doctor or the wife said, listen, he has an awful, awful case of snoring. It's just terrible. It's awful. And so the doctor said, okay. Uh, I assume that this bothers you. And the wife said, well, it not so much bothers me. Right? I'm used to it, but, but it's embarrassing. Right? It's the rest of the church that it bothers. Well, Eutychus, Eutychus is that guy that we remember from Scripture who fell asleep during a sermon. And that's who we're going to study this morning. Now, sometimes we wonder why you know, God puts these accounts in Scripture. You know, of all the things that were left unrecorded, Right, uh, uh, that we would like to know, maybe, but we won't know on this side of heaven. Why did God see fit to put these events of this late night church service in Scripture? It, I, I would probably say it's one of the more interesting accounts in Scripture in the first century church. And after the, preparing this lesson, I'm glad that God chose to record it for us. This isn't just some random fact. Right? This isn't just placed here uh, just because you know because Luke wanted to record it. Uh, this is a powerful lesson, and sometimes we need to do that. We need to stop and look at, for some lessons in some of these accounts. I've mentioned before, but this is going to be one of those shotgun lessons, right? Where we're just going to we're going to you know shoot that 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 pellet out, and we're going to hope that some of these stick, right? And so some of these lessons. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Acts chapter twenty. Let's get the context of what's going on here in Acts chapter twenty. Again, Nathaniel read part of this for us this morning, but let's look at the overall context, starting in verse 1. Uh, we're going to notice here that Paul is going to begin making his rounds during the third missionary journey that he goes on. So Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1, says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. 
And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Phyrus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone out ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So before we get there, chapter 19, you know, Paul's stirred up a lot of things in the city of Ephesus. He's got to get out of there, of course. And so as we just read, you know, they cross over into Macedonia. They're in Macedonia. They come down to Achaia. They come back up to Macedonia. Again, we don't get really a lot of detail of what's going on here. But he sends a lot of his disciples ahead to the city called Troas, right? This is going to be a rendezvous point for all of them to meet at. And we get to verse 6 and it says, uh, it says, We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. Listen, Paul has a schedule to keep. If we drop down to verse 16, we will notice that uh, he needs to get back to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Well, we just read that the Passover just took place. So we've got about 50 days that he needs to get to Jerusalem to get there. But when we get to Troas, we notice that he stays there for seven days. And now this isn't unusual for Paul. There are going to be other times where he's going to stop on this trip for seven days. You know, Paul often made it a point to make sure that he had time to worship with the brethren in these cities. But apparently that night in Troas, they invited Paul to be the guest speaker, the guest preacher. And so he knows that this group needs to get moving the next day. But we are, we're told here as he's preaching, he prolongs his message until midnight. Right? He keeps on talking, as some translation says, in that third floor, upper room, full of lamps until midnight. Just kind of a side note, but how many preachers can get away with that today? Right? Come back this, this evening, tonight, we begin at 6, and I'll be preaching till midnight. You know, how many of you are going to stay for that? But, but that's what happened in the first century. Paul preached until midnight that day. Look at verse 9. And there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. And they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. So we have this young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, falls into a deep sleep. He's not nodding off. He's not just taking a nap here, but he falls into a deep sleep. He's overcome by sleep. He loses his balance. They're three stories up, falls backwards, and he dies. Can you imagine what was going on at that moment? You know, uh, uh, Paul uh, preaching and stopping. Now, it's important that we note that the, the, the text says he died. Right? Uh, uh, Acts chapter, the book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke was a doctor. He knew what he was talking about. This boy died. And so Paul probably stopped his preaching immediately, and they all run downstairs, go outside, and Paul miraculously heals this young boy. Now, the details that we just read uh, are lacking. You know, did, did he break bones? Did he have any lacerations on his body? We're spared those details. But the bottom line is, is he brought him back to life. And so, as the text says, they simply go back upstairs. They have a meal together and staying up all night and talking. And Paul and the group takes off the next day. And the church was greatly comforted by Eutychus's miraculous resurrection. That's the story this morning of the guy who fell asleep in church. 
And so again, let's examine some lessons that maybe you and I can consider from this account. Again, this, this isn't an antidotal story. It, it's here for a reason. And again, I, I mentioned earlier, but you know, sometimes we look at this story and we kind of laugh and chuckle at it, right? That you know, he fell asleep during a sermon, right? But this would not have been a laughing matter to the first century church. The death of a young brother in Christ, someone's son, someone's nephew. A tragic event took place in this congregation that day. And Paul thankfully raised him up and the church was comforted and relieved. But here are some lessons that I found and hopefully this would be helpful for you from this account. Number one, the first lesson is how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? If you were gone tomorrow, what would people remember about you in your life? You know, Eutychus will always be remembered as the guy who fell asleep in church, right? Not the most noble thing to be remembered for. You don't want to be that guy, right, who fell asleep in church. But people will remember you for something, for, for something. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, this is that great chapter where we're talking about all of these men, of, women of faith, by faith. You know, Noah did this by faith. Abraham did this. But the first one he mentions all the way in verse 4 is Abel, right? Abel, from Cain and Abel, all the way from Genesis chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. The Hebrews writer says that although Abel is dead today, his life still speaks, right? Remember Abel, uh, probably the first person murdered on the earth, right? At least that's what's recorded for us by his own brother. And through, uh, and though he is dead, again, the Hebrews writer says he still speaks. Well, how? Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel, right? Uh, they, they both go to sacrifice to God and Abel offers what we believe is a better sacrifice than what Cain uh, sacrificed in Genesis chapter 4. Abel, of course, brought the firstlings of his flock. Cain brought uh, a sacrifice, uh, the fruit of the ground, right? He was a tiller of the ground. But God had no regard for what, Cable, what Cain ha- had brought, but he did have regard for what Abel brought. And so the Hebrews reminder uh, reminds us here, he tells us why that we ought to remember Abel today is because he was faithful to God, right? He obeyed God's commands. He was killed because of his faithfulness from the jealousy of his brother. But we remember Abel today, again, because he gave God his best. He was faithful. And friends, will you and I have that kind of testimony among our brethren? Do you ever give thought? Or have you ever given thought this morning of how you will be remembered? Will you be remembered as the the hot-headed individual? The one who throws tempers? The one who is selfish? The one who makes poor choices? Or will you be remembered as the one who is patient? The the one who would give you the shirt off his back? The the kind-hearted individual? The forgiving individual? See, we want our lives to affect generations to come. And they will. But friends, in which direction? Will we be people who are putting others on a path to heaven because of our lives? How will you be remembered? And if you can't give a good answer to that right now, then this morning, maybe that's a change that you may need to take. Because maybe you don't want to be known as that guy or that lady, right? Maybe you don't want to be remembered in infamy, but for a positive and righteous and for godly reasons, 
I read this quote just the other day. I don't know who to uh, transcribe it to, but, but I, and I put this on my notes there if you grabbed the outline, but I thought it was really good. But it says, someone once said that when you enter the world, you were crying and everyone else was smiling. You, therefore, live your life in such a way that when you leave this world, everyone is crying, but you are smiling. So friends, you have a chance this morning, the rest of your life, to make a mark on your life for the positive. And what will you do? How do you want to be remembered? Number two, here's the second lesson I get from Eutychus is, would you have gotten angry with God in that moment? Now listen, here, here's Eutychus, right? Eutychus is worshiping. He's listening to God's word being preached. And again, notice where he is at. He is at church. He is assembled with the saints, right? You know, sometimes we'll say, listen, uh, you know, if God were to come back, you know, on a Sunday evening or on a Wednesday evening, I'd want to be in church services, right? I, I would want to be where, where the, the saints are assembled. I wouldn't be, want to be caught at home, you know, watching television or taking a nap when the church is assembled if God, you know, were to come back at that moment in time. Again, Eutychus is such a great example for us in the early church. But then again, we might say, well, why would God allow this to happen to him? He died at church. Right? He was trying to do the right thing, wasn't he? How could this happen at church of all places? You know, and there were probably individuals there who might have been crying out, why, God, why? Turn with me to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. You're familiar with the book of Job, of course. Really, the first two chapters we're most familiar with. Uh, Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. But if you remember in Job chapter 1, you know, a lot of things, a lot of bad things are happening to Job, right? Uh, he, he's, uh, his family, his children are dying, uh, all of his livestock, just everything he owns, he's losing uh, because of what Satan is doing. And it tells us like in verse 16, for instance, of chapter 1, that, you know, one servant was talking to him and as he was delivering him the bad news, another servant came and started delivering bad news. In verse 17, the same thing, another servant came to him getting more bad news. Verse 18, another servant comes and it's just one thing after another for Job. And then you get to chapter 2 and now Satan's starting to inflict his body. Right? He, he didn't have the power to kill Job, but he could do things to his body, like have these boils and sores all over his body and just put him in such misery. And you get to chapter 2 and verse 9, and you notice how Job's wife reacts to all of this. Right? Job, then it says in verse 9 of chapter 2, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Right? Job's wife at this moment is so mad at God that she says, Job, why do you keep your integrity? Why are you still faithful to him after all of these things that he's doing to you? Look what he has done to you this day. In the past, God has forsaken you. He has forgotten about you. Just curse him and die, right? Get rid of him. But notice Job's reaction in verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept God, accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Again, Job here is saying, there is no way, absolutely no way that I am giving up on God because of this. Shall I only serve him because of the good things that he's blessed me with and not because of the adversity? The moment something bad occurs, you want me to turn my back away from God? And friends, that's the question we ought to ask ourselves this morning. Will we accept only good, but not the adversity? 
Right? When our cages get rattled, so to speak, you know, we see people tend to flee from God. Right? They want nothing to do with him. But we wouldn't be talking about Job this morning if he did that. Right? Too many people in this life do that. They get upset with God and they leave the church. They get upset with brethren and they leave the church. Too many people already do that. Job didn't. That's why Job is an example for us. Turn back to chapter 1 and notice here what he says in verse 20 and following. It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Is that our attitude this morning? Is that our attitude when we have adversity coming our way? Do we get angry at God and, and just want to you know, blame him? Friends, think about this. What if Jesus, what if Jesus at the next time that you sin in this life said, you know what? I'm done with him. I'm done with that guy. He's, he sinned for the last time and I don't want anything to do with him anymore. Well, you and I might think that that sounds ridiculous. I mean, Jesus is the savior of the world, right? Uh, that, that doesn't sound like Jesus, but we see it every day. Right? The, the people treat God that way. They get mad at God. Their children see them get mad at God, see them walk away. Would we have gotten angry with God? How thankful you and I that Jesus did not step down from that cross on that day, but that he stayed up there and took the sins of the world. And again, here's another example. Here's another lesson that I get from the story of Eutychus is would you have gotten angry with God? Can we be more like Job in this life? Number three, here's the third lesson that I see. He was at the right place trying to do the right thing. Again, that's what we remember Eutychus for, right? What happened really outside of the church building more than really what happened inside the church building in that upper room. And yes, he, he, he fell asleep on the Apostle Paul. Yes, he did that, but at least he was in the right place. Right? We can at least give him credit for that. There's an individual in the Old Testament, and he's also mentioned in the New Testament. We don't talk about him uh, too much, but uh, Balaam. Right? You can see his name up there on the board, Numbers chapter 23, verse 10. And this, this individual was a greedy man. That's what we remember for uh, him a lot, especially in the New Testament when they use him as an example. Do you remember Balaam? Of course, there in Numbers uh, 22, 23, and 24. Remember the, the, the king of Moab, Balak. And let's not get these two names mixed up. But Balak, you know, he sees the Israelite people coming towards his land, towards Edom. Right? They're coming out of the wilderness. They're coming towards the land of Canaan. He sees all the great victories that the, this, this numerous people is doing. And so Balak, the king of Moab, calls on Balaam to come and to curse these people. He's a prophet of God, and so he's hiring him to come and curse these people. And so he hires him to do that. And Balaam, of course, agrees to do this because he's a greedy individual. He sees a big payday coming. And remember, remember, this is the guy that you know, struck his donkey. You, know, you remember that account where the donkey turns around and starts to talk to him? You know, that's Balaam, right? This isn't a great guy. And so um, and Jude describes him in his letter uh, uh, as you know, uh, trying to give a description of false teachers who rush into error like him. Again, don't be like Balaam, Judah's saying. But we get to Numbers chapter 23, and this prayer that he offers is, is really interesting. And we're not going to take the time to read the whole prayer this morning, but I want you to notice one part of it. At the very end, uh, Numbers chapter 23, uh, notice in verse 10 
uh, how he ends this prayer. Uh, Again, this is Balaam. He says, Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. That's an interesting way to end a prayer that, that Balaam makes. He says, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. You know, that statement is so full of irony, isn't it? Uh, he's unwilling to live the life of a righteous individual, but he wants to die. He wants to uh, end up with the righteous. You know, sometimes uh, we, we've heard the preachers of old say, listen, you, we can't sow wild oats all week long and then pray for a crop failure on Sunday. Right? The idea is you can't go and do what you want all week long and, and not follow God's commands and you know, just live a life of sin all week long and then on Sundays come to church and, and pray for God to forgive you and not expect that there be some sort of a results of that. Right? Uh, uh, you're not going to expect a crop failure on Sunday because you've been sowing wild oats all week long. Right? That doesn't work that way. That's foolish. Friends, again, here's the point. Eutychus was trying to do right. He was assembled with the saints. The, servant, the worship service that night went a little long. Yes, that's true. But so what? He couldn't have been at a better place. And friends, if that's our prayer this morning, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his, then we need to understand that we can't live wrong in this life and yet die right. If you're not living your life in accordance to God's will this morning, start now. Uh, I got one more point to go to, but there's going to be an invitation where, where, where we're going to you know, invite anyone who wants to start their life in Christ this morning to do that. Or maybe to even change your life for the better. But if you're not living your life in accordance to God's will, right, start now. You're in the right place. And Eutychus was in the right place, and he was trying to do right And here's point number four, and then the lesson will be yours. There are many reasons why people don't respond to the gospel. Now, this point is a little bit more about Paul than it is Eutychus. But even the Apostle Paul had people go to sleep on him, right? One of the greatest preachers of all time, and someone fell asleep on his preaching. What do we know about Eutychus anyways? You know, we don't know very much, do we? All we really know is that he was a young man. That's all we know. That's all the scriptures reveal. We could speculate a bit. Uh, maybe he was a servant and just got home from a long 12-hour shift, you know, working. And he was quite tired that night. And so, uh, you know, it probably wasn't advisable to go to sleep there on the windowsill. Or maybe he and his family had experienced some stressful times lately, going through some, you know, really tough times. We don't know, again. But as, as we might say, the preacher was a little long-winded that night as Paul preached on to midnight. Well, friends, some fall asleep in church. And when I use fall asleep, I'm using it as a euphemism for um, falling asleep. When some fall asleep in church, you know, it's their own fault. Uh, it's boredom. It's because of a uh, disinterest in spiritual things. Uh, they're, they're forced to be here. They're, there's a sense of obligation to be here. Malachi chapter 1 verse 13, the people said, you know, the worship is wearisome to us. Right? Some people fall asleep in church because... Uh, of their own doing. They're just, again, they're, they're disinterested in spiritual things. But some, some fall asleep in church not because of disrespect towards God, but, well, let's turn to Acts chapter 17 and let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 17. Here we have the Apostle Paul on the second missionary journey, and he's going into Thessalonica. And I want you to notice here, starting in verse 1, 
Acts chapter 17 it says, uh, Now when they had traveled through Amphilippus and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and according to Paul's customs, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving the evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And so Paul is, again, he's in Thessalonica. He's preaching to uh, the Jews here in the synagogue for three straight Sabbaths, right? And he's going into their synagogues and preaching to them. He's opening up the evidence in front of them, explaining to them. But notice verse 4. Here's what I really wanted to emphasize. Verse 4, it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. right? And some of them were persuaded. For many, this was probably the first time they heard about Jesus. The first time they heard the gospel preached. And not everyone believed. We see that in the scriptures, don't we? Now, does that mean that those who did not believe had a bad heart? Well, maybe. Or could it mean that some needed just time to soak it in? They needed some time to think about those things. What can we do in the meanwhile? Right? There are many reasons why people don't respond to the gospel. Right? Some of those, obviously, they heard it and they, and they turned to Jesus. But some of those there didn't. And it, maybe it wasn't because they had a bad heart, because they wanted nothing to do with it. But maybe they just needed some time. Right? Maybe they hear some more lessons uh, to, to study over and over again. I wrote an article a couple of months ago. Someone asked a Q&A question. You know, how do you get someone back to church? And I said, you know, kind of, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily give us, you know, a one, two, uh, three step process of how to do that. But I think there are some, you know, good points that we could pull out from Scripture of what we can do for those individuals. Right. And the number one thing I said is remember that we're not Jesus. Right. The first thing we need to remember is we're not Jesus. Right. We water, we we plant, we we. We, we cultivate, we do all those things according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. But it's God who gives the increase. Right? It's God who saves. God provides the salvation. Right? We need to remember that we're not Jesus and, and we can only water, we can only plant, we can only prep that, that ground. But it's God who saves. And number two, never stop praying for those individuals. Right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we, uh, you know, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, that, you know, love uh, believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he says right after that, love never fails. Right? If you love that individual, you're going to keep praying for them over and over and over, aren't you? And now the Bible does kind of teach this principle of, you know, wiping our feet, the dust from our feet. Right? There might be too much time that we might put into an individual to hopefully to get them to, to see the light and come to Jesus. But if we love those individuals, we're going to continue to pray and to pray and to pray for them. Or maybe, maybe the third thing that I mentioned was maybe someone else uh, would, maybe they would respond to someone else. You know, uh, that's a lot of times, you know, we have gospel meetings here because, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you, you kind of get tired of hearing the same speaker over and over again. And so we bring in a guest speaker, you know, for a gospel meeting that brings a fresh perspective, a new perspective, and they'll get through to people that, that you know, maybe the regular pulpit minister can't, right? Uh, maybe they just need to hear it through in other words. 
someone else's words. You know, a lot of times if I'm studying with someone who may be, you know, a female, you know, I understand that, you know, maybe Angela might have a better opportunity to getting through to them, you know, because of that reason. And so I'll pass on that study to her and she can get through uh, to them because of that. Again, maybe they need someone else uh, to respond to someone else. Or number four, uh, and here's the last one. Just remember that you are the closest thing to a Bible that they may know. First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. And the context here is of husbands and wives, but listen to what Peter says here. First Peter chapter 3, starting in one, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Again, that individual that you are praying for, that you are hoping to, to obey the gospel one day, again, you may be the, the, the only Bible that they know. And they're going to see that through the life that you live. Right? The way that you go to church every Sunday, the, the, the way that you do all of these good deeds for other people and them as well. Right? Um, those are some things that we can do in the meanwhile. But again, there are many reasons why people don't respond to the gospel But we need to be patient with those individuals. This account in scripture I mentioned is more than anecdotal, right? We're glad that Paul raised this young man from the dead and gave him back uh, to life for another chance. We don't have the apostles today, do we? And so we don't need anybody dying in church uh, today, right? Because uh, we don't have the apostle Paul with us. But what could have been a tragic day in the church in Troas, a day of grief and a great day of heartache, instead is redeemed by the power of God. And hopefully we can let this tragic account that turned glorious to serve a lesson for us this morning. Again, what will you be remembered for? What will you be remembered for? Have the attitude of Job this morning, right? Don't get angry with God, but have the attitude of Job. Remember that we can't be in the wrong place. We can't be uh, doing wrong things and expect heaven to be our reward. And finally, be patient Again, with those who fall asleep in church, right? There are many reasons why people don't respond to the gospel, but that doesn't mean we stop loving them and caring for them and praying for their souls. Friends, and if you find yourself this morning in the right place, we urge you to do the right thing, right? This is where you need to be. Don't let this opportunity to respond to pass by. If you're here with us this morning, and maybe you've never put Christ on in baptism, We know that Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. If you're ready to start that walk in Christ, that life in Christ, we would love the opportunity to assist you with that this morning. Or this morning, if you're a member here or a Christian visiting with us and you need the prayers of this congregation, the encouragement of this congregation, again, there is no better place to be than here this morning. And we would love the opportunity to help you with that as together we stand and sing this song of encouragement.